Hey guys, what's going on? My name is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. This is the Thrive Bites podcast, and welcome to season five. Here we talk about three things, plant-powered living, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview the most passionate guests here, ranging from physicians to coaches to dietitians to entrepreneurs. And my hope is to give you really informative and high-valued conversations. So please follow us here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and wherever you hear your podcasts. Come on in, and I can't wait to see you inside. Hey guys, it's uh, Colin Zhu again, and uh, thank you for watching Thrive Bites Podcast. This is episode seven, and um, you know this is pretty much what you need to know uh, for men's health. Um, and I'm joined um, by Dr. Judson Brandeis. Um, he's a board-certified urologist, and he's an expert in sexual medicine um, and men's health. Um, and he's very, very well-learned, well-researched, very, very passionate, um, and he has a lot of things going on, but he is super, 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 um, you know, passionate about men's health and advocating for them. And, you know, we're going to be talking about um, his latest book um, that came out called The 21st Century Man. And uh, I pick his brain in terms of, you know, what the latest and greatest in terms of where we need to be for our uh, men in terms of their uh, sexual health, in terms of prostate health, um, in terms of even fertility. I think it was a great topic to talk about. And and, um, you know, it's not answers that you typically would expect. So I definitely encourage you to stay tuned um, to watch the entire episode. So uh, let me know what you think um, on the comments below and I'll see you guys soon. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu. And thank you so much for being here with us. You could have been anywhere in the world. And I am very, very appreciative that you are spending uh, your moments with me and for this episode. I'm super stoked for today's episode. Uh, today, I'm joined by Dr. Judson Brandeis, and he is a award-winning urologist and sexual medicine expert. Yes, we're going to be talking about all things um, and uh, clinical researcher, physician educator, and a very caring cl uh, clinician and surgeon. He's a graduate of Brown University and Vanderbilt uh, University School of Medicine with a urologic uh, surgery residency um, at UCLA and a postdoc fellowship at Harvard. Today, he specializes in the emerging field of sexual health and medicine, and he has a 25-year career. And, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about his book um, and talk about all things men's health and sexual health. And I'm super, super excited. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Judson. Hello. <laughs> hey, Colin, how are you? <laughs> it's great. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. How are you? Where are you calling from? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm calling from the East Bay of Northern California. Oh, so just nice, uh, nice, way nice. up the road from you. But uh, okay. it's a nice sunny day here in California. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> the The grass is growing, you know, the trees are blooming, I'm sure. So, um, but I, um, I thank you very much for taking the time out, you know, for being here with us. Um, I think men's health, um, is a super, super important, you know, topic uh, to talk about, um, you know, as guys ourselves, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, as a primary care physician, it's always this, you know, fighting these, uh, cultural taboos and, you know, gender, you know, taboos and norms and, you know, a guy showing up 
you know, just showing up is actually, you know, half the battle, you know, at least in my offices is for them to show up. Right. And not for them to kind of like poo poo it and, oh, doc, you know, I will, you know, wait another year for that. Or, you know, I will, you know, just, you know, just not really taking it as seriously or prioritizing it and things like that. So it's really good to have an episode just talking about just men's health. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, if you look at the statistics, men are half as likely to go to their primary care physician as women are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The same way that men live five years less long than women do. And I don't think it's a coincidence, those two things. And longevity of white middle-aged men is actually declining even before COVID because of Mm. alcohol, opioids, and suicide. Mm. So men's health really in this country is in, in, in big trouble. It's a catastrophe. For sure, for sure. I, I know, like, they say, like, a lot of the next public health crisis is actually loneliness and the emphasis for relationships and social connectedness. And I think, you know, being as Americans and being in the information age and the social media age, and we're being more disconnected, you know, co- by being connected, by being more disconnected in a way, it's a weird way, right? And the pandemic just kind of like, reinforce that and like brought that to the surface. So super important to kind of um, really go deeper into that. So absolutely. In fact, in the 21st century, man, we talk about the Harvard longevity study, and I'm sure you're familiar Mm -hmm. with that. The Mm -hmm. the largest and longest study of men ever created, it's followed men for 75 years. And what they found is the single most important factor in determining somebody's health and happiness is the quality of their relationships. Uh, And we have a number of chapters in the book that talk about uh, relationships from therapists and from divorce attorneys and from fatherhood experts. Mm. So yeah, super important. And I think that study, they also do like ladder generations as well, Mm -hmm. which is really, really cool. So, um, so let's get into it. Um, I like talking about my guests's, you know, origin story. And so for you, you know, how did you arrive? What was the inspiration? What was the motivation for you to go onto the path of urology and men's health? Yeah, it was kind of a a long sort of interesting path, but I'll try to summarize it really quickly. So I went to Brown University and uh, after graduating, I went to American Red Cross and did research with Harold T. Merriman, the guy that figured out how to freeze blood for American Red Cross. And we were also trying to freeze kidneys. And so I became really interested in kidney transplantation. Then I went off to Vanderbilt for medical school. And during medical school, I got a Howard Hughes Research Institute medical school fellowship. And I did a full year of research at Harvard Medical School in the the Merrill and Murray lab where they did the first Mm. living related kidney transplant. And I became super interested in immunosuppression for kidney transplantation. And so then I went off to UCLA, did a couple of years of surgery and then four years of urology residency and became really interested in outcomes and health related quality of life. Almost did a master's of public health while I was there. And, uh, and, but then I decided, well, let's go off and do private practice. Um, Mm -hmm. my wife actually said, do you like doing research? Do you like writing grants? Do you like giving papers? And I said, well, not really. And she said, (laughs) you know, (laughs) then like, why put your time at a job? (laughs) (laughs) So so I went and got a job, but I've always liked being on the cutting edge of stuff. So I was one of the first uh, surgeons in the country to do surgical robotics. We developed Mm. the technique to do robotic prostatectomies years and years before uh, the universities did. 
And, uh, and I was one of the first to do MRI guide, guided prostate biopsies. I built the kidney stone center. And about two, three years ago, I became really interested in some of the regenerative techniques for erectile dysfunction, whether mm. shockwave therapy or PRP or stem cells. And so I branched out into my own sort of private pay erectile dysfunction clinic, testosterone mm. replacement. And then I started incorporating um, regenerative muscle building technologies like M-Sculpt and Mcella, And I do a lot of clinical research. I did uh, one of the largest studies on shockwave therapy for erectile dysfunction. Um, I just published a study on using high-intensity focused electromagnetic waves to improve the intensity of ejaculation. Mm. So I'm, I'm not curing cancer, but, you know, orgasms may be our second best. And then... <laughs> I even have a, a penile enhancement study using PRP, traction, suction, and a circulation-boosting supplement. Not that I really care how long guys' penises are, but so many men uh, really cause a lot of damage to themselves by getting fillers or fat mm. transfers or surgeries for penile enhancement. And I created a protocol that is actually 100% safe. Knock on wood, no one's ever had any issues or problems and actually is effective in increasing both girth, length, and function. And I'll be mm. publishing those results um, hopefully later this year at the Sexual Medicine Society meeting. So, mm. you know, really kind of interesting, exciting, uh, one-of-a-kind research that we're doing. Yeah, no pun intended, knock on wood. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so that's that's amazing. That's an incredible breadth of work. And uh, obviously, you know, super, you're super, super, you know, interested and passionate about it. And it just makes a difference, you know. Um, I don't think it's uh, just not enough to just be a guy, but also, you know, to really, really promote it and push the next, you know, level of, you know, men's health, sexual health and, uh, urology. So I think, you know, thank you for doing, you know, that incredible work. Oh, thanks. Thanks for giving me a platform. <laughs> um, so my next question to you is that, you know, a lot of, um, men, you know, we, we talked about this in, you know, in terms of like, you know, really, going through our day to day and, you know, having different kinds of misconceptions, right? Um, you were talking about, you know, penile enhancement, um, erectile dysfunction, um, you know, taking different types of supplements um, to, you know, the, just the frequency of needing to be in a doctor's office, right? Um, so what is it about, like, what are the most common misconceptions? And what is it about like men that, you know, we could do better in terms of getting them, you know, to, you know, the, the office and getting seen, you know, why do you think we've been so hesitant um, to, you know, really check ourselves out? Yeah. You know, I deal with really, really good men and 99% of men, I think are really good people and they, they take care of their families. They take care of their kids, their wives, their job, their community, and they don't take care of themselves and they teach other people like, I don't need to be taken care of. I can take care of myself mm -hmm. until they can't, until they, they begin to break down. And then, then they find themselves in my office or your office. And so really, if we taught men to take care of themselves, just like they take care of their cars, you know, get the oil changed, mm -hmm. go come in for the 20,000 mile checkup, the 40,000 mile checkup, the 60,000 mile checkup. Otherwise, they come into my office with erectile dysfunction or they're fat or they're out of shape or... 
you know, so many other things, or they have cardiovascular disease or vascular disease. And a lot of these things really are preventable through knowledge, through information, through understanding. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that, that we have to understand how to talk to men. And, and I, mm. I do because I only have men patients for the most part. And you can't tell a guy what to do. If you say, listen, stop smoking, they're not going to stop smoking. But if you tell them you're going to lose 13 years of your life expectancy, maybe they'll stop smoking. But I had a patient the other day, he's 57 years old. He's a dentist, you know, he's a smart guy, but he's been smoking for 40 years. And I, I said, you know, how old are your daughters? And he said, my daughters are eight and 10 years old. I said, okay, mm -hmm. do me a favor. Just write down on a piece of paper, 13 years of life lost and put that on the door of each of your daughter's rooms and just, just live with that. And then let me know how it goes. And a month later he comes back and he says, you know what? I stopped smoking. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it wasn't until he really had that information put in his face and he understood the consequences of the decisions that he was making every day for himself that he really stopped and thought about what he was doing. And so, you know, that's what the 21st century man is all about is providing high level information from national experts in all different fields to help men make informed decisions about their health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, a lot of times, depending on, you know, your cultural upbringing, um, you know, your general upbringing, um, how society has kind of painted uh, men um, in terms of like gender, gender roles and norms and things like that. It's uh, sometimes there's a lot of pressure, more pressure than we would want to admit, you know, and I think we also battle a lot with just not being vulnerable enough, um, just not opening uh, opening ourselves up, not sharing, not asking for help because it's just not a man th manly thing to do. Um, and I think it's super important to break down these pre preconceived notions and to say like, you know, you know, you're human, I'm human. Um, doesn't matter what we look like on the outside, you know, and, you know, we have a short life, you know, and if we want to live, you know, a high quality life, you were talking about the Harvard study for, you know, the, um, you know, health and longevity and relationships, um, you know, we have to do well, we have to do good by ourselves and kind of knock down, you know, these, uh, these false pretense, um, if you will. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, and it just, it's really opening your eyes. I, I so many times I hear, like, well, I don't really want to get that test because I don't want to know what it says. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just information. I, I've had incredible success with my patients um, in weight loss. And I, I know mm -hmm. very little about weight loss, to be perfectly honest with you. But mm -hmm. I have a body composition analysis machine that tells people, you know, what's your percentage of body fat? How much excess pounds of body fat do you have? What's your percentage of muscle? you know, left arm, right arm, trunk, left leg, right leg. And when people see, you know, in stark numbers, how many pounds of fat they have, it really opens up their eyes. And then that, once they understand how much excess fat they have, and I tell them like, you know, listen, if I was carrying around a backpack of mm -hmm. 40 pounds all day, at the end of the day, I would be exhausted. My knees would hurt. My feet would hurt. My hips would hurt. 
Of course you're tired. Of course you feel like crap. But, you know, okay, here's how we can lose 40 pounds of fat in a year. It's not going to take two weeks. It's not going to take, you know, you have to set realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I give them, a, I have a couple of sheets on, on, you know, high protein, low carb, healthy fat, high fiber, high macronutrient type diet, you know, and just, and just basically give them information, but you have to initially get them to accept that there's an issue. There's a problem that they have to deal with. And sometimes it's the analytics that will give them that information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of, um, you know, I don't know how, you know, your training was in terms of communication with doctor and patient, um, in terms of how much of it and the quality of it. And I think it can't be, you know, over you know, emphasized, you know, going back to what you were saying about, you know, it's, it comes down to how you talk you know, to our males, you know, how, our, how, how we talk to our men. And I think communication is everything, right? Um, you know, doctors, I think, you know, we're brilliant people, but sometimes probably some of us might not have the best bedside <laughs> manner, right? And to me, it's almost like it's, it's, it makes everything like it makes the difference of how you convey an inform, you know, a, a singular component of information that could be life changing, you know, for that opposite person, right? It's like how you speak and how you convey and how you, um, you know, whether you wrap that in a realistic tone, a positive tone, an optimistic tone, or just in a very caring, non judgmental, you know, tone. So it's, um, I had to learn a lot um, outside of my work. Um, I had to take on like a health coaching certification, mm-hmm. just so I can actually brush up on on enhancing how I talk to my patients and clients. Yeah, well, I mean, they have to trust you. That's the first thing that you do. And, you know, I've really been fortunate to have gone to a lot of great educational institutions. I've been fortunate to travel within the United States, outside the United States. I'm a history major. So I'm really interested in history. I'm interested in science. So I'm always able to find something that I can connect with my patients about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if there's a Cerner study that shows that the average doctor visit is 16 minutes and 14 seconds. And you know, as well as I do, you got to spend a a fair portion of that doing documentation. So actually your, your direct contact with and direct discussion Mm -hmm. with the patients is fairly minimal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you have to get really good at creating that bond, creating that trust, figuring out why the patient's there, formulating a plan, and then regurgitating back to that, that plan back to the patient and, and talking about it. And so there's actually a part of the book where I talk about how to prepare for your doctor's visit mm-hmm. and how mm. to talk to your physician as if they're your partner in your health. Because mm. this idea of doctors being on like a mountain uh, mm-hmm. and patients, mm-hmm. you know, having to listen, that that's long over. You know, you yeah. have to be able to engage with your patients. And so uh, there's a, a section in the book and even a video that I made that talks about writing down a history, writing down a list of medications, writing down imaging studies that you've had any other doctor visits, writing your own history of present illness, and then writing down a list of questions and then handing that to your physician at the beginning of the visit. And if you do that, you'll get the most out of uh, your encounter with the physician. Uh, and, And I was really good at that, but I got to the point where I just wasn't satisfied with the quality of my interactions with my patients. And so I left the insurance-based world. Mm. I do only direct pay. 
<clears throat> and I spend as much time as I want with the patients. My mm -hmm. new patient intake is an hour. Mm -hmm. And I get to know my patients really, really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's just a simple switch of just more time. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, our healthcare system is not, you know, efficiently yeah. built for that, unfortunately. You know, the, the other thing, though, is it, it's time, but I'm actually giving a lecture at a medical school uh, coming up on how to connect with patients. Because the thing is, a lot of uh, physicians these days, they work really hard in high school to get into medical school. They work really hard, I mean, to get into undergrad. They work really hard in undergrad and ace their MCATs to get into medical school. They work really hard in medical school to get into a good residency. Then they work like a dog in residency from, for three to six or seven years. And then they get out, they're in their early 30s, and they've never experienced life. Yes. And so, you know, you can't sit there and talk to your patient about, uh, you know, Gray's Anatomy or Harrison's Internal Medicine. They want to talk about sports or history or where they come from. And if you really haven't been anywhere and haven't done very much, you don't have mm -hmm. a whole lot to talk about. And so it's, it's, then you just turn into a robot. And that's, that's mm -hmm. the complaint that I hear from my patients over and over and over again is my doctor doesn't care about me. He just stares at his computer. Mm -hmm. He just acts like a robot. Uh, you know, you're the first doctor that really like ask these questions like, what do you do for fun? Where are you from? Um, that make me feel like you actually see me as a whole person. And it's a challenge to do that in 16 minutes. It really is. But that's what our patients are going to look for. Otherwise, you might as well just type mm -hmm. stuff into Dr. Google or, or go on telemedicine. Exactly, exactly. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, if you are interested in having a consultation with me and actually see me one-on-one, um, the Chef Back Lifestyle Medicine uh, practice has partnered with Plant-Based Telehealth and uh, we offer uh, lifestyle medicine consultations. So you'll be able to see me one-on-one -on -one and um, I can go over your health history and seeing what we can do to fill in the gaps. Uh, we can talk about your physical health, anything from food to lifestyle to diet to setting up your kitchen to cooking preparation to grocery shopping to your mental health. Um, I think it's important that we build our emotional resilience to talking about your sleep and how to stay hydrated and what are the best uh, medicines if necessary, what are the best supplementations if necessary. And we do all this in a very concise manner and it's a conversation. I take the time out to listen. I take the time out to really understand you from the ground up and to look at all aspects um, of your physical, emotional, and mental health. And um, please, you know, uh, drop me a line, schedule an appointment if you want to see me. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. You know, a traveling is a huge passion of mine. And, um, you know, when I cross paths with people who come from like Australia to Europe to New Zealand, you know, they do something called a gap year. 
Um, it's pretty much like the year after high school and where you would go into college or maybe go into like a line of work. Okay. And uh, medicine, you know, a lot of medicine outside of the country, outside of the United States, they don't even have to go through undergrad. They go straight into medical mm-hmm. school from high school, which mm-hmm. is, you know, very, very interesting. Um, but I say all that to say is that within this gap year, they've taken the time out, you know, to travel. They've taken a time out to either work or do other passions and, you know, just it's like more time to develop themselves. And I've had that fortunate, you know, humbling experience myself. And I use that similar to how your passions have enhanced how you speak to someone um, just to have like different focal points to connect to, to be able to relate and relate to your and resonate with your patient, you know? And I think that's super, super important. I wish I wish that, you know, there was something that's kind of like integratively built in, um, in terms of like a traditional path, but unfortunately there's not, um, I'll probably just add more years and I think people will be more frustrated, but it's like, I'd like to take a a travel medical school class or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just like, just to see a world, you know, um, or even, even, you know, just the United States, you know, it's like no more than like two weeks of vacation for people. It's like. America is just, there's a lot of inefficiencies. I wish there were better things that we can do to kind of get people just on the same community level, you know, on a, a higher scale of well-being. So anyway, um, I digress. <laughs> so um, going more into, um, you know, our men, right? And talking about sexual health, right? Can you share with us like your current statistics of where men are at in terms of erectile dysfunction, in terms of, um, you know, lasting, you know, longer in bed in terms of, you know, all these different things. Um, and, and what are the top like three tips you would, you know, share in terms of optimizing that based off of what you've learned so far? Sure. So, um, I think it's important to understand that erectile dysfunction is really common. So the Massachusetts Male Aging Study shows that 40% of men in their 40s have some degree of erectile dysfunction, 50% of men in their 50s, 60% of men in their 60s, 70% of men in their 70s, or basically half of men over the age of 50 have some degree of erectile dysfunction. So that's, you know, you're not alone and don't be ashamed because you have some degree of erectile dysfunction. Like think about it this way. If you go and and you're at work and you have to take your father to the cardiologist, right? You mm-hmm. you tell everyone in the in the room, oh, you know, I got to take my dad to the cardiologist. And everyone's like, oh, that's so nice. You know, you're taking your dad to the, the heart doctor, right? To fix the blood vessels. Okay. The next day you're like, well, guys, I got to take my dad to the urologist. He's got erectile dysfunction. You know, people are going to look at you funny, but you know what? It's the exact same disease process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. The other thing is erectile dysfunction is an early warning sign for cardiovascular disease. So when we're in our twenties, we wake up every morning with morning wood, right? Sometime mm-hmm. in our thirties or forties or fifties, we lose our morning erections, right? Mm-hmm. That's the first sign that your cardiovascular disease and sometimes also testosterone levels have changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's an early warning sign. 10 years after that, you're going to develop erectile dysfunction. Guess what? Erectile dysfunction is an early warning sign for cardiovascular disease. Five or 10 years after that, 20% of men will have a heart attack or a stroke or some sort of cardiovascular event. And so if you don't take the development of erectile dysfunction seriously, 
you're missing a big opportunity. I send so many men for cardiac calcium scores and I've, I've literally saved so many people's lives because they come back with a calcium score of 300, 400, 500, mm -hmm. 800. Uh, and as you know, I tell them, listen, you know, you, I'm so happy you came in here because you developed erectile dysfunction and allowed us to find cardiovascular disease. Because the thing is a quarter of men mm -hmm. with cardiovascular disease, the first sign of cardiovascular disease is sudden death, mm -hmm. right? You don't get a second chance. You know, there's no game over, you know, let's reboot the game. Yeah. You just, you just fall over. <laughs> you're, you're just, your first sign is dead. Yeah. <laughs> And so literally if, yeah so if you don't take erectile dysfunction seriously it's a because the blood vessels to the penis are one or two millimeters the blood vessels to the heart are three to four millimeters so they're four times the the cross-sectional area of the blood vessels to the penis that's why blood vessels to the penis fail first and the other thing is you have to develop a threshold blood pressure in your penis in order to block the veins from bringing the blood back to the rest of your body. So it's unlike, say, the toes, which are also at the end of the line of the vascular system, right? If the blood pressure to your toes decreases, guess what? Your feet get cold. You put socks on. It's not a big deal. Your feet don't cease to function. But if your penis loses blood pressure to a certain point, then all of a sudden you're not able to block the venous return and guess what? You develop erectile dysfunction. It's like you're in a burning building and the next building mm -hmm. is six feet away. If you jump six feet, it's a good day. If mm -hmm. you jump five feet, it's a really, really bad day. Mm. And so if you get 100 millimeters of mercury of blood pressure in your penis, it's a good night. If you get 95, it's a frustrating night. Mm. Super, super, super important. Um, you know, I... I, it's definitely a, a PSA for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, not the marker, but you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, how would you say? So, I just had a follow-up question. You know, um, just thinking out loud, the information age that we have—you could look up anything, social media, um, how we're bombarded with all these images, movies, and things like that the porn industry, right? How does that affect, you know, sexual dysfunction? Um, you know, where's the research have shown like over time, does that play into erectile dysfunction? Um, you know, and other, you know, um, uh, ailments as well? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, and there's actually a book uh, chapter in the 21st century man on pornography addiction. And so, you know, there's, there's nothing really that happens physiologically, but I think it's, you know, men are turned on really three ways, uh, visually, uh, emotionally, or uh, through tactile sensation. Right. Mm. And so, you know, if you're like back in the day, when I was a kid, you would get the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition once a year. And if you were able to sneak someone's Playboy, you know, that was about as good as it got. But now you can get on your phone and go to Pornhub or some of these sites and, you know, just witness whatever the hell you want to witness. And so mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's a, an increasing expectation or an increase in what will actually uh, get a man excited. So, you know, the mm -hmm. first week, it's like a guy and a girl. The next week, it's a guy and two girls. The week after that, it's a guy and six girls. The week after that, it's a guy and like a donkey and a chicken, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and pretty soon, you know, you, you have to cook up such an 
a bizarre fantasy in your own mind that when you're actually encountering like a real woman, yeah, uh, it, it's 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 disappointing. And so I do see a fair number of younger men mm-hmm. with erectile dysfunction, and a fair number of those folks have uh, pornography addiction, pornography overload, whatever. You know, it, it takes so much more uh, neurochemistry to cause stimulation. Exactly. And it goes back into that, you know, dopamine reward pathway and, you know, those parts of the brain. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, on the show, like food addiction and weight loss and, you know, sugar addiction and all these other things. And um, they're very, very similar, you know, what I'm saying that hits the same point. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think, I think it's one of those things that, you know, is very taboo is not really talked about. So, you know, I appreciate that. Um, you know, going off to uh, prostate health, um, tell us, you know, you know, for a guy, you know, um, obviously, I would hope that, you know, men think like, okay, I have a prostate, but I'm not really sure what it does or, you know, what do I need it for and things like that. Um, and <laughs> all urologists that, gets I, through college. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's what pays the bills, right? It keeps the lights on. Um, but, you know, I know that, you know, Maybe like as I get older, I just have trouble urinating. I it's it, it failure to empty. Like I keep having having to run to the rest stop off of the highway all the time. Or even worst case, I've had some patients where they would actually carry um uh, containers where they can't even you know go in time, or they can't find something and they have to go in you know in their own vehicle. Which um you know so tell me about prostate health. You know in terms of the current. Uh, landscape right now? And, you know, what would you say on how to optimize it? Yeah. So, you know, there are really two tracks that we can talk about. One is benign prostatic enlargement and the other is prostate cancer. And and I wrote an extensive and and really, really good, but concise chapter in the 21st century man on prostate issues. So the one issue is benign prostate growth. And there again, 50% of men in their fifties have some issue with benign prostate growth, 60% of men in their 60s, 70% of men in their 70s. So it's super, super common. And you can divide it into uh, obstructive and irritative voiding symptoms. So obstructive symptoms are slow stream, difficulty starting, intermittency, meaning stopping and starting, and difficulty Mm -hmm. emptying. And then irritative symptoms include urinary frequency, urgency, getting up at night to urinate, burning on urination, urinary tract infections. And so an enlarged prostate sits below the bladder and constricts off the tube Mm -hmm. through which your bladder empties. And so that can make it more difficult for your bladder muscle to empty. And so when there's a constriction, your bladder muscle begins to strengthen, right? So it's just like in weightlifting, you put, if you put more weight on the bar, your muscles are going to get bigger. But the bladder muscle really works best when it's a low pressure system. So mm. as it builds muscle, the functional volume of the bladder decreases. So you go to the bathroom more frequently. And since the bladder muscle is stronger, those mm. urges that you have to urinate uh, are more intense and your bladder holds less at night. Uh, and so that's why you develop irritative symptoms. And then you can develop obstructive symptoms because you're constricting that tube 
And so the stream comes out really slowly. And so there's a whole algorithm of how to treat that, whether it's what we call alpha blocker medications, which relax mm -hmm. the smooth muscle in your prostate or mm -hmm. Five alpha reductase inhibitors like finasteride or mm -hmm. uh, Avidart, which shrink the prostate by blocking the conversion of testosterone into DHT, mm -hmm. and then if medic and then even Cialis, uh, which is uh, an erectile dysfunction medication, works well for treating uh, urinary symptoms due to the prostate by relaxing these smooth muscles. Beyond that, there are minimally invasive treatments you can do in the office. You basically causing a reduction in the size of the prostate, either the resume technology, which uses steam or a Urolift, which uses like a little stapler to pull up the prostate. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, if the prostate's too enlarged for those type of procedures, you can have either a TERP, which is to scrape out the prostate tissue or a laser TERP or a bipolar TERP. You know, there's lots of different ways to scrape out prostate tissue. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for making that super uh, concise for us. Um, in terms of um, lifestyle, has there been any lifestyle or diet slash nutritional aspects to it? Is it, you know, a, a fellow man, man would, you know, wonder like, is this just inevitable? You know, is it just because like, I'm going to get older and this is what inevitably is going to happen and there's nothing I can do about it. Are yeah, there I any mean, ways to, you know, to contribute towards prevention? There's a, there's a big genetic aspect to it. Um, and then there've been a number of studies, including one called the select trial, which was looking at selenium and vitamin E. And it was an incredibly expensive trial. They looked at 10,000 men over a period of, I think, five or 10 years. Mm. Uh, and what they found is selenium and vitamin E had no effect, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's like a big, huge study to, to really show no effect. And so um, there really isn't. Now, there, there are a couple of supplements, including beta-cytosterol, pigium, uh, pumpkin seed extract, flax that have some data. And I actually have a supplement company called Affirm Science. And we make a number of men's health supplements, including one called Spunk. And Spunk mm. includes beta-cytosterol, pigium, uh, pumpkin seed extract, and flax, and some magnesium and some zinc. And those are the, the, the supplements that have some data in terms of prostate health. And so what I encourage people to do is if you have mild symptoms that really aren't bothering you that much, and you want to take something to help you taking something like spunk or uh, other supplements with beta cytosterol are good, but we have a whole armamentarium within the urology community to take it sort of beyond that. But unfortunately mm -hmm. there's nothing in life that's free. They're all, all of those have some degree of side effects. Yeah, there's always a trade-off. Yeah, for sure. Um, moving on, um, you know, we're making, you know, good flow and, you know, I want to be able to address all the topics. Fertility, um, it's not the only thing, you know, women need to consider. I think, uh, you know, men need to consider as well. Probably not as common of a question to ask, um, you know, how does a, a male, how does a, a man optimize his success rates, you know, for fertility. So if you don't mind sharing, um, you know, how much of the man's contribution to infertility, right? And how does one optimize it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the, in the book, there's a, a chapter written by a really good friend of mine, Dr. Phil Worthman, 
who's one of the top fertility experts in the country. Uh, and so he writes a great chapter. So, you know, I'll basically summarize some of the, the points. So first of all, you know, it's important to get your hormones checked. So if your testosterone's low, if your LH is low, if your FSH is low, you know, there may be some sort of pituitary issue. And so you need to get that addressed. Also, uh, you could have something called a varicocele, which are basically varicose veins that go to the testicle. Mm -hmm. And that's the most common correctable cause of a male subfertility. And so that's relatively easy to fix with either a procedure or a surgery. And then you can take a supplement with basically at least two grams of carnitine. And there are a number of different supplements that, that, that we talk about in the chapter. Uh, and then the other thing to really remember is it, it takes a long time from the time a sperm is made until a time that a sperm is released. Mm-hmm. And so it's about 75 days from the day a, the time a sperm is made till when it's released. So anything that you're actually doing um, is not going to be coming out for at least three months. Now, a couple Mm -hmm. other things you can do. One, sperm production takes place at a lower temperature than the rest of your body. And so that's why your testicles kind of yo-yo up and down. So if you're in a sauna, the testicles are down by your knees because they're like, well, I want to get away from what it thinks about as body temperature. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you're in a cold bath, the testicles head up north close to the body temperature, because really it's the testicles are trying to get to about 97 degrees and your body's mm-hmm. 98.6. And so uh, when it's cold down below, it's trying to go up. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the other thing is um, intense bicycling, you know, intense mm-hmm. meaning more than three hours a week mm-hmm. uh, can generate uh, some testicular issues, erectile dysfunction, but also too much heat in the testicles, which can affect uh, sperm production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super important uh, to get our uh, our guys, you know. Yeah, family jewels. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to bankrupt the family jewels. No, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely. You know, like, you know, we've been through a recession already and it looks like we're going through another one. Oh, man, <laughs> don't get me started. Yeah. Um, so I love all this. Um, you know, it, this has been a great, great episode. There's so many, you know, nuggets and jewels and, you know, there's so much like wordplay here <laughs> that we can just go on and on. I'm sure, I'm sure you had a hoot, you know, training with other, you know, urologists, oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> my final question I love asking, you know, my guests is, you know, this show is all about plant power living, enhancing emotional resilience and creating a thriving mindset. So for you, you know, you look like a person um, and you seem like a person that just loves what he does, loves showing up to work every single day and just really um, is in service and, you know, very passionate about serving, um, you know, our males, you know, um, in the realms that you do. What is it that you do in your own life um, to kind of keep that moment, moment, um, momentum going, you know, keeping that spark alive, you know, getting yourself up, you know, willingly to get yourself up every single day? You know, what is it that you do in your own life uh, for that? Jeez. Um you know, there's a theme that I have running through the book called The Hero's Journey. Uh, and one of the things that I try to emphasize in the book is that we're all the heroes of our own journey. You know, some people look, you know, oh, Tiger Woods is my hero or Tom Brady is my hero or, you know, whatever. Um, but all those people have problems. They got their own crap. You know, mm-hmm. focus on your own problems 
and be the hero to your own family, to your own community, to your workplace. And if if every decision that you make when you wake up in the morning is really focused on doing the absolute best that you can for the people around you and the people that care about you and the people that you care for, uh, I think that that will sustain you and that will give you a sense of purpose and a sense of drive that uh, that you'll be able to defeat anything that comes in your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm glad that you've had you know that theme throughout because. It's important. I mean, obviously, you have a lot of great, you know, colleagues and experts, you know, writing in, but it's really about, um, you know, also touching into the core points, you know, hitting that, you know, what connects us all, you know, Um, you know, we can go into talks about like purpose and, you know, fate and destiny and, you know, just the mission and, you know, shared values and things like that. So it's important to have a sense of forwardness and having a sense of, you know, you know, we've gone through some dark times, you know, um, and but having that forward progression. So I really appreciate that, you know, um, that you do what you do, that you show up and, you know, you serve in the community that you do. Hey, well, thank you. You too. You, you're, you have a wonderful podcast and, uh, and I really appreciate being on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, how do people reach out to you? Um, how do they, you know, find out about your book, buy into it? You know, where do they go? Yeah, so if you go to the 21st Century Man, all written out in lowercase letters, the 21stcenturyman.com, you can read about the book, you can order the book on hardcover. It's a beautiful hardcover book, or you can get the ebook, or very soon we'll have an audiobook. If you want to learn about me and my medical practice in Northern California, just go to BrandeisMD.com, B-R-A-N-D-E-I-S-M-D.com. We have a number of clinical re- trials going on. In fact, we just uh, are finishing up recruiting for the P-Long study. I have patients all around the country that come in for the P-Long study. We have the Mencella 2, which is using high-intensity focused electromagnetic waves to improve erectile function. Um and, uh, and then if you're interested in Affirm Science Supplements for Men's Health, it's affirmscience.com. Oh, and then I also have a really good uh, YouTube channel. I put a lot of time and effort into my YouTube channel because I do a lot of physician teaching and a lot of podcasting and that kind of stuff. And so I really try to uh, put out a lot of content in sexual medicine and muscular rejuvenation in uh, regenerative urology. Um, a lot of my scientific presentations are there, uh, a lot of really good stuff. If you're interested in really uh, high-level uh, information on sexual function. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll uh, when this uh, show airs, we'll definitely put that in the show notes and you know spread the love. So, um, Dr. Judson, thank you so much for being here. Um, you know, with us. Um, you know, uh, I know you're a busy man. You have so many uh, things going on, um, but we really appreciate that you take the time and being able to share as many uh, you know uh, pearls of wisdom. Um, I'm trying to avoid. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid a, 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 pun, a punny joke <laughs> and not make this into like you know, a male's locker room. So, you know what I'm we, saying? We just, yeah. You know, it's, uh, we have so much fun at work. You know, we, we take very, very seriously, um, men's sexual health and there's no shame. There's no judgment. You know, we're super, super encouraging to our, our men, our male patients, but at the same time, we have a really 
fun time and we, we laugh a lot. So uh, it's really, I, I love taking care of men, uh, especially, you know, men over 40 uh, and really helping them live their best life. Definitely. Definitely. If it's not fun, why do it? Right. So. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like this, um, please like, share, and subscribe. And if you feel like this has been a benefit for someone else, please let them know as well. And until the next time, please say goodbye to Dr. Judson. <laughs> Hey guys, thank you so much for watching that episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you like this, please like, follow, and subscribe. And please follow us for the latest updates for this season, season five. And if you feel that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and YouTube. And thank you so much again. And we will see you on the next one.